He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Churchill Downs, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Well, look who the cat drug in. I'm at Churchill Downs, and who walks in? Joe? No, not Joe. The flatter. Oh, yeah. Well, I live here now. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Kentuckiana. I'm still in the Anna part of it until I can actually have the movers find my junk. <laughs> when you told me you were going to be here at 8 o'clock, I was wondering if that was Vegas time. No, it was actually somewhere in between. As we were speaking, Caddo River was dropping out of the Kentucky Derby, so that had my attention for a good hour. So who's going to be, who's in now? Brooklyn Strong? Brooklyn Strong gets in, yeah. And wow. that's it. There are no alternates left, so it's well, 20 or fewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is. They're starting in my dreams, and he's got four no, he's out. No, he's out. <laughs> he's out, too. So we're down, to, we're down to 20 unless somebody else decides to call an audible. Oh, yeah. Who could call an audible? I don't know. Bob might think concert tour suddenly looks good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's kind of an interesting derby. You know, the new normal. 11, but, uh, 11 horses that could have been in the derby had the invitation and the connections say, nope, we're going to take the old Pasadena on it. That's interesting. Eleven. Eleven of them. Yeah. And uh, I don't think any of them are for fitness reasons, you know? Well, that's good. That's good. That means, you know, we, we lose sometimes a lot of horses because, you know, they get hurt or, mm-hmm. you know, we don't see them for a while. And um, I've seen, uh, I, you know, I've seen enough derbies that, that I know a lot of these guys, you know, really, really sacrifice a lot of horses mm-hmm. to get here. And it's refreshing to see that some of them uh, have decided, well, and also maybe there's that view of, I'm going to take this trip and I'm going to basically, then I'm going to have to back this horse off for three months. I won't be able to do the, the Del Mar. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so there's a lot of, I think, I believe that going on. And um, there, I think also there's some good horses in the Derby this year. Certainly at the top of the stack. And maybe uh, I've talked to a number of people, trainers, breeders, owners, big owners. And if there's a consensus, it's all the things you mentioned. One, that the Derby campaign and the trail is grueling for young three-year-olds. And do you really want to do that with the possibility you're not even going to hit the board? Two, you have the question about whether a horse is really meant to be in the Derby. Is it a 10 furlong horse? And then you have the question of Lasix, or the lack thereof, and that's the unspoken one. Well, the other day, um, is that you the, beeping? By the way, no, no. Now that, we have a loose horse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's up. Uh, well, finally, that caterwauling has ended, Bruno. Was loose horse or a loose possum? Uh, there was a. Well, we've had a loose possum this morning on the main track and on the turf. Same <clears throat> possum? Yes, gray or wrong. Okay. No, not a chestnut, not a bay. No, it was a gray roan possum. Okay. I have video. Not a paint? No. No. <laughs> okay. no. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to probably get wider as he gets That's older. I, I really believe there's really some good horses here. And, and watching them in train, you can, you can tell that, they're, you know, for example, the sainthood who's got relatively light experience, but he's a pretty good horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got, you know, you've got... A lot of horses, you know, like Rocky World, who's only had three starts, he's a talented horse, too. Uh, you just wonder how far he wants to go, and you wonder whether 
uh, the pressure is going to, you know, uh, get him to succumb in the derby. Um, but he, he, he's lightly, lightly raced. Mm -hmm. um, Second choice in Vegas. Yeah, well... Good I mean, but no, but I'm saying if they get there's, the, there's, where, how do they know? Are they go and watch the race? No, there's <laughs> well, yeah, they can't even they can't even bet on it directly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there is the respect factor. So there is it's not like he's sneaking up on anyone. No, but you know, only having three starts, um, it makes it, uh, it it's it's harder to do that. It's like for example, the one horse dynamic one is being touted left and right. And he's a non-winners of two lifetime horse. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the last one to do it was uh, well, actually Country House. He didn't finish. Uh, he didn't go across the wire right. first, but right. Country House was eligible for non-winners of two, and so was Giacomo. Mm -hmm. So in the last, you know, so you really look at it in circumstances. Uh, the horse that crossed the finish line first, there was a non-winners of two. The last one was 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And how about the fact you're going to have an undefeated horse going off at long odds? Helium. Actually, that horse has trained really well. He's done everything right. Um, I can't knock him. He's a big, good-looking, strapping um, uh, colt. Uh, I, 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 I can't knock him at all. I can knock. Okay. I can knock soup and sandwich. I can't knock. I cannot knock Elium the way he's moved and hit the ground and 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 breeze for this. Well, here you are. You know these things, as we know, better than most. And we're in your lair. We are in your airy over the eighth pole and looking out here at Churchill Downs. And this is where you do your work every day when you're clocking the downs. Well, as I said in, in, in my whole world of uh, horse racing piece that was on Twitter for uh, not last Breeders' Cup, the one before, uh, welcome to my kingdom. And the, the one thing that's interesting here, I was here, my first year was 2000, 2001 with the Fusaiji Pegasus. Oh, with, no, it was 2000, 2000. Mm -hmm. And it was my first derby and I got the clock. And all I remember is how the media has a tendency to, to narrow their focus on things that may possibly be a big reach. Like when here on the turn at the quarter pole, Fusaichi Pegasus went up and just dropped the rider. He didn't get loose. He just dropped the rider. And when I got here, all I could see was uh, the, the massive amount of media with their televisions. And all they were playing was up and to the left, up and to the left. I felt like I was watching JFK with Kevin Costner, uh, you know, up and to the left, you know, and and, and it just, they, they focused on that, even as far as some of the media guys, when Fusei Pegasus was coming over for the walkover, and he bucked, and one guy ran inside, and, oh, he's acting up, he's acting up. And, and I think that they lost, the, the message gets lost, where they didn't show how well he worked the day after that. He had a fabulous work for Neil Drysdale, and he ended up, being professional and hitting every hole on the inside with Kent Sormo to win. Um, I was here with Orb, you know, train, you know, very, very well. When Smarty Jones, uh, I was sitting right about at the same area right here and watched him slip inside of a maiden that was in front. He had Willie Martinez on. He worked 59 flat, and he came through a smallest hole on the inside in a work to go 59 and I knew right there and then that he wasn't going to lose the derby you know because of his his inability of, of being able to negotiate a 20 horse field um, 
just watching him and Big Brown, the way he traveled and the way he hit the ground and the way he galloped coming in, you know, you knew he was going to fire. Um, you go, to, you know, Animal Kingdom was probably the, my, my biggest price, and and I was convinced after he had won the spiral that he was definitely derby material. And when he worked here a minute out in 13 for grand motion, breaking behind, just the way he moved on his track, you knew he was going to handle the dirt. So a lot of it is spending the time in the morning is not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily focusing and obsessing about gallop outs and about times. It's about really how the horses are doing it and how they're coming into the race. Uh, for example, um, I'm going to have a very interesting write-up on Mandaloon, and I don't share the, 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 the euphoria that you find from a lot of people here that they believe he's doing fantastic. Anytime a trainer trains his horse, his horse three straight times in three straight weeks and 12 and change on, on in three quarters, uh, to me, that's, there's a reason for that. Because trainers don't want to just train the living daylights out of a horse. They want to get them fit. And if they're pushing that horse three straight times, there's a sign that there's, that horse is coming back saying, I need more. Mm. Where I would rather see a trainer not do as much as I'll have another in O'Neill back in, what was that, 2012? I want to say yeah, I was that was the first year that came to my mind, but somebody looking it up on Google may scream at us. It's okay; they can scream all they want. We can't hear them. <laughs> yeah. mm, you know, um, la, la 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 yeah. la. We can't hear you. <laughs> Listen closely. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, but I'll have another. Everybody knocked him because he didn't work, and and he just galloped. And O'Neill had him had him. You know, concert pitch. He knew his horse. And sometimes you have to trust the trainer. Uh, as in Brad Cox talked about um, essential quality and how he didn't need to, to do much more. He's a fit horse. You have, you, you have to take a look at each individual animal and each individual uh, situation. If you've got a horse that hasn't run since late March, you've got to do more with them to get them ready. If you've got a horse that ran in early April, now he only ran, let's say, April 3rd, You've got two weeks before you work them again, so it's 17th or 18th. They're fit. You don't want to put them over the top by doing too much, and you can do too much right after a race. So, you know, for example, I, I, there was, um, Soup and Sandwich here had a huge work before everybody showed up where he galloped out 7, 8, and 27. They got a 48 and 4, but he went, you know, 127. That's doing a lot. And sometimes when you do that too soon, you put that horse right over the top. And then what you have to do is you have to keep stepping on the pedal and got to do more and more and more because you need to keep them in that particular cycle. So, and, and, and so understanding what the trainer's doing and what he's, where he's doing it and how he's doing it and, and, and the method behind it is there's no general, there's no uh, rules that you have to follow for every individual horse. And I feel that here with the media and, and, and the crunch and, and, and all these uh, the deputized clockers and, you know, that you get, you get this, all this misinformation on, 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 on social media and, and, and print that sometimes the truth gets really 
really the reality gets really washed away in, 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 in some meaningless you know, way or in, cor- in a corner somewhere that people don't understand and don't, wanna, don't want to uh, accept as, as being reality. They need to have that sensation, sensationalization, so to speak, of what's happening. Well, let's take it from the very beginning to build to the conclusions that you're able to draw. Of course, years of experience that can't be replicated here in a short podcast. But when you roll in here, what's the first thing you're doing to set yourself up for your morning of clocking? I I do the same thing I do every day, you know, when I clock. I, you know, I set myself up. I get here early enough. I mean, are you using uh, tablets, paper? What do you do? Are you stopwatches, binoculars? What are we talking? What are the I, tools I, of the trade? I got, I, got a, I have an old toolkit. I have, um, uh, I have my notebook. Um, I have my recorder. Um, I have my binoculars. I've, I've got everything that I need. I mean, that's 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 like you know, that's like your football player going in with a helmet, mm-hmm. shoulder pads, and everything. It's it's equipment. Okay. So, a horse comes out. A horse. I'll get to multiple horses in a moment, but a horse comes out, it's 5.30, and you see that this horse is on the track. How do you know that this horse is working? Are you looking for stable colors? Do you have word about anything in advance, or are no, you flying no blind? No word in advance. So how do you know a horse is breezing as opposed to galloping? Just the mannerism, you know? Um, when you're in the morning and you walk out of your door, can you tell your neighbor is going to work? Pretty much. Yes. Uh, Lunch yes. pail, you know, backpack, whatever. They're, they're, you know, it's the same thing. Horses, horses are handled differently between, um, between gallops or jogs or, um, for example, um, I know on, on Sundays and Mondays it's Steve Asmussen Day. So he will come out here and he'll bring it with the pony. He'll come up with the set that he's going to go. And he comes up underneath me and turns around. A lot of the times I don't have the ability of just staring and saying, oh, this is guy's going to work. That's going to work. I got to react to everything that's going on on the backside. Mm-hmm. So I'll see a horse coming up to the, to the five eights and he looks like he's in that mode to work. Um, he's not in the mode to gallop. The rider is sitting in a certain position the way they move. It's become second nature. You could just go, okay, he's going five, and i got a half going in a minute. And you're looking at them as they're on the backstretch. You're looking at them crossing past the same poles we watch in a race, and they become your signposts, correct? Yes, right. And, and sometimes you'll know a trainer will go short pole to short pole, meaning he'll work from the four-and-a-half or the three-and-a-half. I mean, Brad Cox works, works almost everything from the half mile pole. I was very interested that he, that he started Mandaluna a couple of times from the five eights, mm. uh, which meant to me, th- what it meant was he wanted a stiff work. So just understanding that Brad Cox started off from the five eights pole with Mandaluna, he wanted a stiff work okay. with a horse. Where we're in central quality, he went from the half. And then from the half, he wanted to be, he was doing his normal routine and he was going to let him go easy the first eighth and then they start picking it up each one. So, so there, there, there's a couple of other things that happen is that the way they go off from the pole. So if I get a horse from the pole that just goes right up to the pole in a very, very um, um, uh, easy manner and they ease them away from the pole, they're not looking for a really, really big work. However, if they get to the pole and they let them rock from the pole and they go 11 and change or 12 flat, 
they're wanting that fast work. They're, mm-hmm. they're wanting that horse to roll. That's what that rider wants to, to happen. How do you know who the horses are? Markings. And I know the cloths here. I mean, you can, I can tell down the backside. And just by the way the horse is moving, that I can tell okay. it's a Bauer or it's a Cox or it's a Asmussen. Um, and, and how do you, but how do you know the new two-year-olds, for instance? How will you know a horse markings. you haven't seen before? Well, first of all, we're racing with Bruno. Um, um, I have um, a, a dedicated employee that does all the markings and all the work tabs across the country. So I have a spreadsheet that has 25 tracks with all the works from that day once they're out and uh, with the trainers listed, with the markings, with the color. So I can easily refer. Now, when, I, when, they're, when they're working, I try, to pick, I try to pick them up as they turn for home and put my binoculars on them. And at that, during that time, what I do is I pick up, and I have a between, depending on how many horses I have going at one time, I have between six to eight seconds to record markings, uh, trainer, uh, rider, um, how the horse is moving, how it's looking, and, and, and all identification tools. So, you know, when, when, when you have clockers who are lazy enough that they can't identify, they don't want to, that they want to sit in the back of the room and clock them and say, who was that and what did you get? They don't look at the horse themselves. By looking at the horse and getting the markings and seeing how they move, you get to know that individual. And by knowing that individual in that six to eight seconds to 10 seconds that they're coming you know, towards you and, and you get to see them, you get to really pick out a lot of different things about that mm-hmm. horse, the way it's moving. And coming off the turn, I like to sit at the eight ball because coming off the turn, you can see the way they move and they rotate through the joints. Right, you get to, and when they're changing leads, et cetera. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, to me, that six to eight seconds tells me a lot. Where a lot of guys, if somebody tells you who they are, you're not looking at them. Are you looking more, as you said, at joints, knee, leg action, etc.? Or, or are you looking? Are you also looking at ears? Can you look at it all? Yeah, it's pretty much. If you're looking at the horse, you'll notice. You know, um, there was one work that we. I'm not going to give away the store, but there was a work here with a Oaks contender that the rider, his body weight was completely over to the left, turning for home. And that means that that horse was getting out. And, and picking up little things like that from individual riders on how they move, and in this case, the, 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 the distribution of his weight to one side and almost off the horse tells me that he felt the horse was getting out and he had to make sure that he corrected, and the only way he could do it was with his weight. When you have multiple horses now, as busy as it was the Friday before the Derby, normally it's the Saturday, but with the anticipation of weather that didn't actually wind up arriving as early as it was thought on Saturday, all the workouts, or at least the bulk of them, were on Friday. So you might have a horse that's going to start a work on the back stretch and is in mid-work in the front stretch when another will start at the very same time on the back stretch. How here's do you handle it works? I'm talking about where how do you okay, handle with all these sounds. click 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 Here's click. how it sounds. I got a horse at the half. I've got another one picking up at the five eighths. I got him on a split of three point three. Taking my half to the three eighths, the three eighths and that's uh an Asmussen. 
12 flat in the first eight. My five eights just reached the half. He just went 15 and two. That's a 12 and two. I've got another horse popping off the five eights. I've got him on a 20 and three split. I've got my half that's going to the quarter in 24 and two. I got my five eights at the three eights in uh, 27 and four. I got the five eights that just went off my third set. He's going to the half for his first eight. And, and, and I just keep... I keep throwing into a recorder. Into a recorder. I'm just throwing out splits. Now, if I'm not doing it into a recorder, I'm free. I'm, I'm shorthanding everything. So I may have as many as four to five horses. Let's say all of a sudden I get a gate. Okay, gate. You got to pick up a different pulse. You pick up the gate here, and you go. Okay, I got a gate. I got two coming out of there. Um, one's a chestnut with a strip down. The other one's a gray. I got them in six and two at, at the quarter pole, and then I build the work with all the splits. So. By the time they end, if they go 109 and 2, minus 6 and 2, that's a 103 and 2. So I do that all the way throughout. So here, uh, it can sound, uh, um, Barry Meadow um, was with me one morning way back when, and he said it sounded like, um, it sounded like the cockpit of, uh, of a dogfight in, in World War II because you just had all these things going on at once. I'm thinking it almost sounds like, you're at the phasic Tipton sale, and you're hearing. Blah, 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 blah. Is it? It's almost like that. But sometimes, you know, I I don't like doing the recordings. I, I do them as a as a as a last resort because you lose a little bit of a flavor. Like yesterday, I had um I had a McCarthy chestnut out of the gate that went like 59 and four, and. I couldn't find it on my recording. I know I had him. I know that, that, that I had him going fast and he worked really well, but I couldn't find it on my recording. Now, I, it, you know, you're also speaking so fast. And yesterday, I think my stopwatch didn't stop for four minutes and 38 seconds, where I just kept splitting, splitting, splitting. And I, my record, I think it was at Delmar, it was seven and a half minutes that my stopped and my watch with, did stop. With how many horses do you think? What's the most you've been probably, able to handle at once? At Del Mar that time, I probably had about 45. Wow. Wow. How long did it take you to have the acumen to do that? Well, and you don't just walk into the I track and do that. I started clocking and, you know, when I was, I started clocking for fun back in the early 80s, uh, when the middle 80s, when I was um, visiting my, my friend Jack B. Haynes trainer kind of taught me a lot from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of horses with him and I used to try to, before I went to my investigator job, I would go to, to, to Santa Anita and, uh, and I would be there and I would help him getting sets out and walk horses. And um, the first horse I ever walked, he went to the Fairway Phantom. He was, I mean, that horse could set the track record at a mile going uh, two miles. Um, he was pretty slow. And, but <laughs> one day he went straight up in the air on me and he came down right on my foot and Corey Black was going by with a Charlie Winningham horse and he goes, good catch, buddy, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, you know, I used to walk in and I feel legs and felt my first notch of a tendon in Jack's barn. But I remember one day Jack says, she should be clocking. Mm -hmm. So I clocked um, Fairway Phantom and he went seven eighths and 132. And, and I came back and I said, he went seven eights and 132. And Jack looked at me and goes, yeah, he broke the track record at a mile. <laughs> so, but I, I learned a lot from Jack Haynes. And then I went out on my own to start a clock. And, and um, it was a natural. I, I, it was natural. I, was, I could handle chaos. Not and, everybody can. No, no. You know, Few can. Uh, I, I, I can. I, I found that 
um, I've, as I've gotten older, I need to be able to have the ability to be able to, to take some time off uh, and, and not be as, as, you know, I mean, I, I used to clock 325 days out of the year. Uh, you know, it's not good for you. N- well, now not having the time off. Older, yeah. you know, you, you need to slow down a little bit. The thing that separates you, though, from any Tom, Dick, or Harry who can stop a watch and record a bunch of numbers and quantify it is what you see, as you mentioned, with your eyes and what the horse does. Are you able to note that immediately with what you're writing down, even recording? Or does that get seared in your memory bank and you attack that later when you're distilling all this information? I, I know who worked well, you know, who, who caught my eye. But you but also, also know who didn't. No, well, well, yeah, because, you know, I just take all of my information down and then I put it together later. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, to, to me, those horses can't get away. You but know? do you have a little note? Well, you say into the recorder... Horse had a problem with the right front knee, something like that, or words to that effect. Yeah, I, I, I have my own lingo when yeah. I do that. And I have, um, like, for example, when I do a shorthand, I have little, uh, di- uh, not diagrams, but, like, uh, for example, if I like a horse, then I'll say a minute 3B on it. It's just my way of saying I like this horse. He was going super easy. Um, and, or I'll put a follow on it, or, little, you know, I may even put a look. That's what I got started, you know, the, the looks with the QQs. There's some repetitive eyes. nomenclature here. You're going to use certain terms over and over again, even though the horses might show some uniqueness. But, again, there's only so many legs a horse has. There's only so many ways that they're going to manifest what they're showing you. You can describe it in much yeah. the same vocabulary time and again, so you don't have to write a whole essay on every work. Well, the first thing, you know, it's it's like the first time you ever saw Walter Payton play in the NFL, you knew he was a star. The first time you saw, you know, uh, a, a, I don't know, a John Elway, you know, he was a star. You know, you can look at, at, at a, you know, you can look at a horse and you know they can run. But what you do is go beyond the stars. You have something on every horse. So some average horse to anybody else you have an impression of. See, this is the thing that I'm like, how do you do that? I'm very good at getting volume. And to do what I'm able to do, especially by myself, I have to be able to get volume. And the volume, I believe in, 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 the, in the volume allows you to be able to see everything almost. So when I look at volume, I also want to believe in quality. Um, you can't have a stopwatch on every single horse, but you can have the competence that if I got a horse breaking off the three eighths or you know even at the, at the quarter pole, you leave that one alone and you pick the five eighths or the half or the three quarters that's going off. So uh, you know you 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 have to be competent in what you do. You know you get a lot of guys that get on social media and they want to talk about like they know clocking and this and that just because they look at a video they don't know their ass from their elbow you know because first of all they never understand the track they never understand the timing on the track and how it works they have no idea if they've never been to churchill downs or keeneland or santa anita or or any track that when you're watching a video when i watch a video of a work i already understand that track Right. I look at, I mean, Churchill is a really good track to train on, especially when it's wet. It's the best. There's certain tracks like Saratoga you don't want to train right. when they're wet. You know, you got, you got a lot of water standing there and everything. So you got to be able to understand. And also, I, 
I've been doing this long enough that when you come out here, like I think two mornings ago, I felt the track was a little bit deeper than normal. That'll happen within three works in the morning. All of a sudden you go, what? These horses are not handling the way they were in the day before. And that is a key. So when you're looking at videos, you don't have that ability. And especially for people who don't know, like Santa Anita Strat, you have got to be able to differentiate between right after the break to when you, you have that track is like full of potholes because they've had 300 horses go over it. That is a huge difference. Some trainers train over that kind of track. And what happens, it's like a minefield. Horses don't get a hold of it and some horses don't want to put out and horses get over it. But because you've got so many horses training over it, it becomes a situation that you have you know, some horses may not work as well and they may not look aesthetically pleasing to the eye as they would have if they would have been on the track right after the break. Once you got all this information and you've got your notes, you've got your recordings, it's whatever time you leave the track, which I'm gonna guess is what, 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. What time are you leaving the track typically? Right after the track closes. So I wanna get home and I wanna start working on the tab. Okay, yeah. all right. So how long does it take you to take all that information and put it into a form that then you're able to publish? Well, what I have to do is, first of all, um, I have to just clean it up when I get home. Um, and then I can just let them sit. Um, my daughters who, who, who do all the dedicated work on, on, on the work tabs, they get those to me, you know, that afternoon. And I can go through it and I can I immediately pick out who I liked and who I don't. It's not very hard to do uh, because I do take meticulous marks down on horses. And your daughter can understand all your... Well, no, no. I mean, they just do it off the work tabs. Oh, and I they're see. they're able to get all the markings in. So then I can just refer to the markings. I used to do that all on my own. So you're basically, they've got the work tabs that are published that we all see. Yeah. And you're applying and the horse adding, markings to They're adding to all that. the markings to it. Okay. So what happens is that I'll be able to sit there and look at it. Now, I can't write 200 works a day and put them in the system from, you know, two tracks, you know, for a track, you know, like Churchill, the other day we had 158 works. There's no way I can do that and be able to get all the other work done. So what, what I do is we have a system that in, 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 in Bruno with the works, I can take a, a full, let's say I have a uh, Kentucky spreadsheet. And basically in my spreadsheet, it has all the Keeneland, all the Churchill, all the, the, the that we do. Um, and I run them right back through the admin area and it spits it out with all the horses that are entered. So all I have to do is go through the horses that have entered and check my notebook mm, and go okay. and, and fill it all in. The other thing though, that's so important. It's one of the things that you've taught me is that don't compare horse versus horse when it comes to workouts, whether it is time or whether it is even the look of the horse compare the horse versus itself what did it do last work what did it do work before that and find out what's going on absolutely ron you you don't want to you know you have a lot of guys that sit around and say well this horse was third of 57 on you know on the tab well out of those 57 works how many of those horses are coming off a layoff or maybe had their first half mile or maybe had their first five eights or they were just coming back from a race, and that's their first five-eighths after a race. So it's really, to me, it's not as important as understanding who the horse is and what he did. What a horse does and what he did 
is the more important part. What's it kind of accomplish? Also, if you've got like, for example, if you've got a, a maiden that has his first five eights and it's in the upper and it ran worked as fast as an allowance horse or uh, a two-year-old, let's say, he worked as fast as a, an older allowance horse or a stake source, that's what you want to take notice to. You know, for example, um, a, a few years ago, I had a city zip colt with a trainer. And I w- it was the, the horse worked on December 24th, and I was at home uh, in California, not at, in Florida. And um, I called the trainer, and the trainer told me, well, you know, he worked 48 and 1. I worked him with an older horse, and he ended up working, you know, he went okay. I remember looking at the tab later on. The trainer uh, had told me the horse got outworked, but yet there was 32-year-olds that worked that day. 30. You were the best time. So what I did is when I started the... We wrote an algorithm that basically goes through the tab and it breaks that tab apart and it matches up two-year-olds against two-year-olds. And and, and I think it's a much better... um, way of looking at a tab and tearing it apart and, and instead of just saying, well, he was one or 36. Uh, and by the way, bullet works are the biggest overhyped besides bias. They're the most overhyped handicapping factor. In, Again, in, they in the lack world. the context that you have just described. Well, let, me, let me give you a great idea. I, I, this was a Doug O'Neill team in California. They broke from the gate. You had three. One of them went only three eights, went 35 and four. This is horse number one, 35 and four. Well, he was beat by three lanes in that 35. He was last of the set. The other two, they went 34, four, 47 and two. The second horse, horse number two, stopped at the half mile, only went a half mile. He was three lanes behind the leader. The leader had gone 46 and four, but the leader went out and they got a five eighths time in 59, four, which was like fifth out of, 84. He was the best of that set at every poll, but yet got fifth out of 34. The horse that got beat and finished third only went only three A's, 35 and four. He got a bullet. The horse that finished at the half mile pole, 47 and two, was second best out of 36. So those first two horses who were beaten by the five eights horse, who went faster than all of them, the five-eighths horse got the worst ranking. So if I say the rankings in your past performances are bullshit, I'm not too far away from that. And also, they're overhyped. It reminds me of when you look at past performances from the afternoons, and people seem to understand the fact that a five-length win in a maiden race is not carrying the same value as a narrow third place finish in a grade three. People know the difference between that and that context, but can't figure out the context of the mornings. I, I, I think they, they, I have seen some very, very smart people come to the track and completely in the morning and completely have zero sense of a zero common sense. It's not very common to have that common sense. Um, or there's a discomfort because 
we're not as familiar with what goes on in the morning as we are in the afternoon. Uh, I, I think if you use your common sense, I, I think you'll be okay. Um, and, and, and a lot of the times, there, there's a lack of common, there, there's, there's nothing common about common sense, um, you know, when it comes to racing. And, for example, right now, I just... I should, uh, let, me, let me point out something here. In the last four or five minutes, while you've been talking seamlessly, you carried out your little portable tray over here to the rail up on the fourth floor and hooked it up, binoculars nearby, notepad and pen going nonstop and stopwatch in your left hand, click, 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 and you've already got times, comments, works for five horses. I can't understand a thing you wrote down there. Like for example, this is Brad Cox that just went 34 and three through the wire and went out a uh, 47 and one. I had him on a 27 one split to a 102 and two. That's a 35 and one actually. And out in uh, 47 and three. And he got up to out probably 27 and 420, another 25. Here I got a, a chestnut Romans who's got both front stockings, a, a half, um, with another Romans right behind. So I'm trying to figure out right now. I got another Romans behind him with a star. He's popped off two horses back to back. By a star, you mean the marking and on the, the face of the horse? Markings on his yeah. forehead. Um, that, that Cox went 35-1, 47-3, and then probably went out about 101. He probably went from the half, so that's a 47-3 out a minute flat type work. Uh, the chestnut for Romans, now Romans worked from the 3-8s all the way to the 3-quarters. And I've got this guy, the other darker bay that was behind him, he went 25-2 from the, from the wire. So, uh, you know, now I p basically put all this information down and... Um, and it looks and, like doctor's handwriting, by yeah, the way, it doctor. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm watching the chestnut for, for Romans that was in front of the other bay, and he galloped out all the way past the, the 5 eight bowl, and Romans will do that. We're probably going to have a team over here going off, and we're probably going to have this horse over here mm. working the way he's moving. So basically what I'm, what I'm doing here is I was able to, to, to be able to catch uh, seven horses when we were talking. Um, and, it, and you just reacted so quickly. I mean, it was like, boo, it was almost like a dog hearing a sound that no one else can hear. It's so second nature. And, you know, I love what I do. I mean, there are times where I get just exhausted. And, and if I really go over the top, you know, we talk about horses. If I go over the top, it's hard for me to see anything. And, and what I mean by see anything is being able to use my deductive reasoning of what I'm... And everything is really done for me. Um, I, the way I, when I'm clocking horses, it's really done... Uh, I, I, I've learned to be able just to use, to understand and use my gut feeling and understand why, how I get my gut feeling and what it means. Have you been told that there are moments that you have a little bit of Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man in you? You know, somebody said I look like, like this of Bill Morey here. Um, um, hold on. That darker bay has got a left tine under. He's worked about three darker bays this morning, and I need to be able to separate them. So sometimes just looking at that little left tine under going away from me, um, you can pick it up. Sometimes they just have a little bit of white on there and you can't see it and it makes it very tough the horse went out three eighths and 37 one for maury and he's continuing out i've been told uh, i had a guy walk up to me one time in california and asked me for my autograph he thought i was dustin hoffman <laughs> i think you're taller than hoffman 
Probably, I don't know. Who isn't? I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, with the white hair now, I, I, you know, it's the, you call me Tootsie, you know, you're going over the rail. What if I call you Benjamin and say plastics? <laughs> the Graduate. Ah. Oh. Oh, God, you got to be old to know uh, that one. Yeah, I know. All right, so this was great insight into seeing exactly what you do, and it's really just a slice of the pie here. But speaking of slices of the pie, what are you cutting up this week? There's a bad segue. Well, you you know, our Kentucky Derby Zooms, and you've been on our Zooms, mm-hmm. I, I think are highly informative. Uh, anytime you come on the Zoom, we don't only just sit there and show you our face and, you know, because my face is made for radio. But, you know, it's not just showing our face and talking. I mean, we do a lot of video presentations. We do a lot of showing horses how they move. We do a lot of race replays. We show workouts. I think, you you know, if you're if you're serious about the Derby, you got to come on and, and join us. Go to RacingWithBruno.com, sign up for our Oaks and Derby Zoom. I think you'll be really pleased and you'll love the presentation. And we've got a lot of great people that come out and we're going to have a full uh, house and join us. Go to RacingWithBruno.com for our Oaks and Derby Zooms. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.